0: The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, Where visit Where is God in a graveyard? Can God's blessing dwell next to a casket? Can someone who's being mournful over the loss of someone, can they actually be blessed by God? Did you know that Jesus actually proclaimed, blessed are those who mourn? Blessed are those who mourn. What did Jesus mean by that? You see, typically when it comes to the blessings of God, we don't typically link people that are mourning with people that are blessed by God. In this uh, series, we're talking all about the blessings of God and the types of people that God blesses. You see, one day Jesus stepped up on the side of a mountain and he started to proclaim that, uh, about the types of people that God actually blesses. Listen to what Jesus says uh, when it comes to the blessings of God. In Matthew chapter five verse three, he says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled." Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, we know these blessings as the Beatitudes. The word Beatitudes simply means The blessings. And uh, it's here in this series where we've discovered that this word blessed doesn't mean happy. See, blessed is more than just a fleeting feeling. Being blessed by God is something so much deeper than just happy. You see, we've learned in this series that being blessed means someone that God endorses, someone that God is giving a thumbs up to. Being blessed by God means someone who is aligned with God. Like tires on a car need to be aligned, being blessed by God means you are lined up with God. You're aligned with him. And being blessed with, by God means someone that is in sync with God. Like synchronized swimmers are in sync with one another. Da-da, it means you are mirroring God's actions and his attitude. You're in sync with God. You see, it's so much deeper than just happy. Now, if we look at these eight blessings, these eight beatitudes, and we think, okay, this is just a mental checklist for us to uh, accomplish if we want to receive God's blessings. Oh, we just got to do these eight things, and then we get blessed by God. If that's the, what we think about the beatitudes, then we're missing the point. Think of it this way. The Beatitudes are not a prescription for God's blessing. They're a description of God's blessing. Look at how uh, author James Smith puts it in his book, The Good and Beautiful Life. He puts it this way. He says, the Beatitudes are far from being a new set of virtues that further divide the religious have and have-nots. The Beatitudes are words of hope and healing to those who have been marginalized, See, the Beatitudes are not this list of spiritual hoops that we have to jump through in order to receive God's blessing. No, not at all. The Beatitudes are simply a way that Jesus is extending the parameters of the kingdom of God and who is actually included. You see... Jesus loved to hang out with the um, social outcasts, with those on the fringe of society. Oftentimes, you'll you'll find Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and and, uh, sinners, the down and outers, the rejects. By his actions, he's kind of flipping culture upside down by who he even hangs out with. And what Jesus is proclaiming is this. God's blessing, God's endorsement, actually falls on people that you think have been excluded. God's blessing actually falls on people that you think are excluded. Maybe you're here today and you've been told that you've been excluded from God's blessing. Maybe you've told that to yourself just by your own circumstances and the negative things that keep coming into your life. You're like, ah, God I could not possibly be blessing my life. If you're here today and you think you've previously been excluded from God's blessing, I have good news for you. Because Jesus declares, those that have previously thought they've been excluded from God's blessing, you just might find yourself right smack dab in the middle of God's blessing. Today, if you're here and you feel that way, Jesus wants to flip your script. He wants to rattle your cage a little bit. He wants to say, you, yes, even you in your negative circumstances of life, even though you're marginalized, even though you are in dark times, the blessing of God can be found right where you're at. Today, if that's you and you you feel previously you felt previously excluded from God's blessing, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. I'm gonna give you an opportunity at the end of this sermon today so you can start gearing up for it right now, to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to his ultimate blessing. Okay. So throughout this series, we're starting to wrap our head around the beatitudes. What type of life God actually blesses? But mourning? Come on, Simon. (laughs) Mourning? How could God possibly uh, say, blessed are those who mourn? Isn't mourning like the exact opposite of blessing? Well, yes. (laughs) Yes, it is, kind of. You're right. As your outline says, mourning refers to the sorrow of someone whose situation is bleak. Is bleak. See, bleak is cold, Bleak is lonely. Bleak is a barren and desolate wasteland. Bleak is simply miserable. So why would Jesus declare that blessed are those who mourn? Why would Jesus declare blessed are those who mourn? Well, you see, we have got to have to take a closer look at what Jesus meant when he said mourn. As your outline says, mourning is most commonly associated with loss. Mourning is most commonly associated with loss. See, we most easily associate mourning with people who have undergone a significant loss or, or felt overwhelming grief. Maybe you're here and you know the, the pain and devastation of mourning firsthand. Maybe you've under, undergone uh, the, the loss of a significant loved one in your life. And you know what it is to mourn. Maybe you've gone, undergone the loss of a significant relationship in your life. Perhaps it's a marriage, and you know what it is to mourn that loss. Maybe you're here today, and this this loss that that you've undergone isn't something that happened way back when, but it's recent. Like, it's so recent, you can still taste it. You're still angry. You're still confused. You're still dealing with depression from the mourning of the the loss that you've suffered. So why would Jesus proclaim, blessed, blessed, are those who mourn. You know firsthand it doesn't feel very blessed while you're mourning. Why would Jesus take the most negative of situations and say that it could be made into something beautiful? Okay, so it's true that mourning refers to someone whose situation is bleak, and we most commonly associate mourning with loss, but as your outline says, mourning is also associated with sin. Mourning is also associated with sin. So what in the world does sin have to do with mourning? Well, the book of Matthew, where we find the Beatitudes, was originally written in the Greek language. And sometimes understanding the original language that uh, a writing was done in, it sometimes helps bring context and a fuller understanding of what Jesus was actually trying to communicate. So the Greek word translated to the word mourn is actually the Greek word pentheo pentheo. Now the word pentheo it means to lament, to manifest grief or to show guilt. Okay, Simon, I, I, lament I get, okay, that makes sense. To manifest grief to to express outwardly grief. Okay, I get that. But to show guilt? Like what does that have to do with mourning? show guilt? What would that even look like? Let me tell you a story. I said earlier that Jesus would spend a lot of time with the people that were on the fringes of society, and one day Jesus was going to have dinner at the house of one of the religious elites known as a Pharisee. His name was Simon, no relation, and he's going over to Simon's house to have dinner and then there's this woman who is known for her sins that comes up to Jesus and does something incredible. Let's just pause for a moment here. Can you imagine? Like, just imagine for me for a moment. What would it be like to be known for your sins? Ooh. <laughs> Talk about wearing your sins on your sleeve, right? Like, you're known for your sins, oh, there. There goes Bob the luster. Yeah, there he Hey, Bob. Oh, I I don't see him. Oh, he's right behind Jessica the gossip, you know, right near Lucy the self-righteous and Joe the drunk. Yeah, there. Hey, Bob. Being known for your sins. Like, that's not so. That's crazy and embarrassing and awkward and uh, vulnerable. Known for your sins. You see, this woman, her sin was so renowned, there wasn't a person at the party that didn't know about her possibly a sin so vile that Luke, the author, in grace, dare not even mention her by name or what she had done. You see, this woman, she knew how deep her sin ran. She knew her sinful state. She knew the gravity of her sinful ways. She knew how bleak her situation was. And she recognized that she was incapable of of saving herself. Last week, we learned all about this feeling. We called it being poor in spirit. Be, realizing your total and utter dependency on God. Poor in spirit. So in mourning, this woman, she falls to Jesus' feet and she's completely overcome with grief. As she's at Jesus' feet, mourning over her sin, a steady stream of tears begins to flow from her eyes and they start to land on the dusty, dirty feet of Jesus. As the steady stream flows and more and more tears hit Jesus' feet, she begins to wash Jesus' feet with her own tears and takes her hair and begins to dry Jesus' feet. It is this beautiful moment of deep sorrow and humility. Now, This woman who is known for her sins is not the type of person that people thought that Jesus blesses. She's not typically the type of person that people would say, Oh, yeah, yeah, God endorses that lady. But look what Jesus does. Look what Jesus' response is to this woman who's known for her sins. Jesus sees her in her mourning state. She sees how broken she is over her own waywardness. And Jesus says to her, Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He forgives her and he sends her along on her way in peace. As your outline says, mourning is associated with sin because God blesses and forgives those who recognize and repent of their sins. God blesses and forgives those who recognize and repent of their sin. You see, blessed are those who mourn. What Jesus is saying is, in sync with God are those who are broken over their sin. Aligned with God are those who understand what breaks God's heart and then in turn are heartbroken themselves. In sync with God, God endorses the sorrow of those who acknowledge they've fallen short and they turn back to him. You see, mourners are heartbroken over the things that God has heartbroken over. Mourners are heartbroken over the things that God is heartbroken over. So that begs the question, then what breaks God's heart? Have you ever thought about that before? What breaks God's heart? The answer is sin. Sin breaks God's heart. Now, if you're not a religious person, you're not a Bible person, you're not a follower of Christ here, you're thinking, what in the world is this word sin that breaks God's heart? Now, according to the Bible, sin is anything that misses the mark, anything that falls short of God's awesome standard of perfection, okay? So sin could be doing something that's wrong, according to God. But now, if you're here and you're not a Bible person, you're not a religious person, I want you to define sin however you want, okay? So if you come from a different religion or you have no religion and you're like, I don't believe that the Bible's definition of sin is right, Simon, that's totally fine, You define sin however you want. As loosely as you want to define sin, go ahead and define sin that way, okay? So we're not not splitting hairs on how we define sin. But the truth is, no matter how you define sin, sin always separates. Sin always separates. It always separates relationship between you and others. Sin will always separate relationship between you and yourself. And sin will always separate relationship between you and God. And that's why sin breaks God's heart so much because sin always separates. It always puts a gap between you and God. It's been said that sin promises more than it gives. It takes you further than you want it to go and it always leaves you worse off than you were before. See, Jesus knew this, that sin promises freedom This is why sin is so sneaky. Sin promises freedom. Oh, come do this. You'll love it. Oh, come do this. You're gonna think it's the greatest thing. This will just open all these doors for you. Come do this thing. Sin promises freedom, but always leaves you in slavery. It always leaves you in slavery. And Jesus knew this, and that's why he said in John 8, 34, I tell you most solemnly that anyone who chooses a life of sin is actually trapped in a dead-end life and is, in fact, a slave. A slave. A slave to sin. And that's why sin breaks the heart of God. You see, our sin should bother us. Like, really. Our sin should be ugly to us, our sin should grieve our hearts. There's an interesting story about uh, pastor, author, um, uh, teacher, uh, renowned teacher Timothy Keller. Tim Keller is a, a pastor and he, as he hires new pastoral uh, staff for his church, he, he has these unique interview practices. And one of the questions that he asks as he sits down a new potential staff member, a new potential pastor at his church, he asks him this question. He says, when was the last time you cried over your sins? When's the last time you cried over your sins? And if the person can't answer him, he ends the uh, interview immediately and goes on to the next candidate. You see, Our hearts should be sensitive towards sin. Mourning is a completely appropriate response and reaction to sin. When you are aligned with God, your sin bothers you. When you are in sync with God, you grieve your sins. So blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. Okay, maybe talking about our own sin is a little too on the nose. Okay, I get it. When we talk about our own sin, we think of um, how we missed the mark, how we fell short of God's awesome standards, how we've done something wrong. But when our sin is projected onto others, when our sin is transferred to others, we call that injustice. Injustice. Think about it. We call that injustice. Uh, By that I mean, have you ever met the most needy in our society and seen them sinned against? Have you ever met the most helpless in our world and you've seen them be pushed down? Have you ever met the most vulnerable in our culture and seen them being taken advantage of? See, that's just sin being transferred onto others. That's injustice being done. So maybe you've never mourned over your own sins before. Maybe that's too weird to, to think about, mourning over your own sins. But have you ever mourned over injustice? Have you ever read an article about kids being sold every day into the sex trafficking industry and your heart began to weep? H- have you ever uh, bumped up against the raw face of injustice in our world before and began, uh, be- begun to mourn? Have you ever witnessed racist or sexist comments and your heart was grieved? Have you ever mourned over the state of injustice in our world? If you have, if you felt that pain, if you felt that grief, you're drawing close to the heart of God. You're drawing close to the heart of God. See, you are aligned with the heart of God. You are in sync with the heart of God. When you mourn over injustice, you're starting to see the world the way that God sees the world. When Jesus looks around and he says, who is it that's blessed? He looks for those that are broken hearted over injustice in our world. He says, you, you are blessed. You're in sync with God. You're aligned with God if you're heartbroken over the things that I'm heartbroken over. So all the people here that feel beat up or torn down by your own sinfulness, to all the people in here that know the feeling that sting of injustice can cause, to all the people here that you feel like your situation is absolutely bleak because of the loss that you've suffered. Here's the good news. You are blessed by God. You are aligned with God. You are in sync with the God of the universe. Now that's, that's not, we don't just leave it right there. That's, that's not all that you are because there's a promise. There's a guarantee that comes along with feeling that way. And this is the promise. To those who mourn, Jesus promises comfort. Jesus promises comfort. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. See, Jesus promises to bring comfort to you, to me. Now, this comfort may not feel instant. It may not feel immediate. And it may not come in the form that you thought it would come in as your outline says oftentimes the full comfort that follows mourning isn't immediately accessible it isn't immediately accessible but jesus promises blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted they will be now will be it implies this future focus like it's it's going to happen you will be comforted meaning the comfort it begins right now but it's not yet fully realized It begins right now, but it's not yet fully realized. The comfort that Jesus brings, it may not be immediately accessible, but it doesn't mean it's not coming. The comfort that Jesus brings may not be fully here yet, but it doesn't mean that it will never be fully here. As followers of Christ, we know that God is in control of all things, amen? Just nod your head if you're picking up what I'm putting down. You're like, yeah, he's in control. Good. As followers of Christ, we know that God is in control of all things. And that Jesus gets the final say, which is in heaven. And in heaven, in eternity, that is where our full comfort will be fully realized. But this is the good news. We don't have to wait until heaven to receive the comfort from Jesus. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to receive God's comfort. Did you know that you can access God's comfort right now? You see, no matter what you're going through, no matter that, like, the pain, I don't want to trivialize your pain or the grief, like, no matter what it is that you're actually feeling or what you're going through, if you're a follower of Christ, Jesus brings his comfort to you through the person of the Holy Spirit. Right now, you have full access to the source of all comfort. The Bible tells us in John 14 that the Holy Spirit serves many roles in our life, helper, advocate, and comforter. He's a comforter in our life, the source of all comfort. And when you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside, you ready? He changes how you mourn. He changes how you mourn. See, we don't mourn like those who have no hope. No, 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 no. We put our hope in the words of Jesus in Revelation 21. One day he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne will say, I am making everything new. So we hope. About 30 years ago, Francis Chan was a youth pastor and he was trying to explain to his congregation that that, um, when we live with eternity in perspective, it changes everything. When we live with eternity in perspective, there's hope. And so what he did is he went to his uh, computer printer and he grabbed all the computer printer paper that he possibly could. And do you remember that computer printer paper that was like all accordioned together? Like it was all attached and then the perforated in the middle, you had to rip all your sheets apart. And there was the, the two like long perforated edges on the end with all the little holes in it so it could be fed through the printer. And then you'd, you'd bend them over and then rip them off one by one. You guys, I'm literally the only one that had that printer? Come, It was like super popular with the original IBMs. Yes, thank you, Janice. Okay, me and Janice know what I'm talking about. Okay, Uh, so he took all this computer printer and he put it up all around the church building to make this point. Now, I couldn't find any computer paper because they stopped making that when they stopped making IBMs. And um, uh, so we're gonna use a rope instead. Now, you see here on this rope, uh, this big long white rope, you see the end of it here is, is red? Can you guys all see the end red part of the rope? Yeah, oh, thank you. Okay, good. So the end bit of this red rope, this is gonna represent your life. Everyone say, that's my life. <laughs> oh, they, thank you. <laughs> this, this represents your life, okay? Now, this is the moment that you were born. Aww. And this is the moment that you die. Oh. Okay, now everything that happens in your life happens within the red part of this rope. Now, this white part here of the rope, this is all, this is eternity. This white rope is eternity. It goes on and on and on and on and on and on. It's a a little kinked, okay. But this goes on forever. Okay, it's all connected. It goes on, it goes on forever. Props guy is fired. Okay. Just kidding. This goes on forever and and ever and ever and ever and ever. Now, the thing about this red part of the rope is this is where, this draws all of our attention, this draws all of our focus. Everything that we worry about and stress about and mourn about happens in the red. This is when we fall in love, this is when we decide how many kids we're going to have, this is where we decide, you know, where we're going for dinner, you know, and all the little decisions we make in our life all happen in the red. And we stress and we worry and we're consumed with the red not even the whole red we're consumed with 1 month of 1 year of the red we're consumed with just a sliver just a sliver of the red and it consumes us our thoughts but when we live with eternity in perspective whew, see this is this is how god sees our life with eternity in perspective with the rest of our life here to there, it all is. Like it just goes. There's a bunch there, and it goes and goes and goes and goes. See, this is where there will be no more tears. This is where there will be no more crying. Here's where there will be no more pain, no more mourning, for the old order of things has passed away. And Jesus says, "Behold, I am making everything new." So if we stop fretting about what's happened at the red and we, we take the long view, God's view of eternity, he says there's hope. There's hope. And this is why the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians, we don't mourn like those who have no hope. No, we hope in eternity We hope in eternity. We hope in a God that's conquered death. We hope in a God that's defeated sin. We hope in a God that will mourn with us, that will promise to bring us comfort and that loves us and has eternity waiting for us. This is where we place our hope. And that brings us to today's big idea. We're trying to sum up the day's teaching in one simple thought and this is it. When you display externally what God has revealed internally, you will be comforted eternally. When you display externally what God has revealed internally, you will be comforted eternally. Think about, think about the, lady who, uh, the lady who was known for her sins. The woman that was mourning and grieving so much over her sins that her tears began to wash Jesus' feet. You see, she was uh, displaying externally what God had revealed to her internally, that she was poor in spirit, that she was a sinner, And then God blessed her. She was in sync with God. She was forgiven from her sins. And Jesus comforted her eternally. Do you remember as she's washing Jesus' feet? Do you remember what Jesus said to her? He said, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love that. Do you see how the peace and the comfort follow the morning? Do you see how peace and comfort follow mourning? But notice it wasn't the mourning that saved her, it was her faith. And the word faith here simply means trust. It was the fact that she placed the full weight of her trust in Jesus, the saver of our sins, the redeemer of our life. She recognized how poor in spirit she was, and she mourned and repented over her sin, and then she put the full weight of her trust in Jesus, a God who loves her, that was willing to save her from her sins. So today, as you're here, and maybe you don't feel very blessed, you need to know, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And if you're here today and you have never once mourned over your sins, you know what it's like to mourn over injustice, that's easy, but you've never actually mourned over your own sins before, today I want to give you an opportunity to simply say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the way I've lived. I'm sorry that I caused a separation between me and you. Today, will you forgive me? I place the full weight of my trust in you to forgive me of my sins. And Jesus will. And he'll say, blessed are you for mourning. You will be comforted. If you're here and you're already a follower of Jesus Christ, that means you've already mourned over your sins. If you're here and you're already a follower of Christ, that means you've come to Jesus before. You've repented. You've mourned over your sins. You said, God, I'm a sinner. I... I, cannot save myself. I need you in my life. If you're here and you've not done that yet, I want to give you an opportunity as we close to say yes to Jesus. Give you an opportunity to repent and to turn from your ways, to mourn over your sins, and ask Jesus to be the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life from this day forward. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted.